0: This season of the Chefs' Manifesto podcast is brought to you by The Crop Trust. With more than 15 years working globally to safeguard our agricultural biodiversity, The Crop Trust has been a strong advocate for greater long-term resilience in our food systems. Through an endowment fund, the Trust is working with partners to secure the most important international, regional and national collections of crop diversity in perpetuity, as well as the Svalbard Global Seed Vault, the world's backup facility for seeds. In short, the Crop Trust's work comes down to one simple vision, ensuring the basis of our food is safeguarded forever. For more information, follow the Crop Trust on Instagram, Twitter and Facebook, or visit their website at croptrust.com.
1: We the chefs,
2: we the chefs,
1: are working together to create a better food future. future.
3: I am George, Andy, Come from Nigeria, Switzerland,
1: Los Angeles, London, India,
2: New Zealand.
3: (laughs) Ingredients
0: are medicine.
2: Ingredients are superpowers. Food is joy.
0: Food is love. Food Food is is life. life.
2: A very warm welcome to the third season of the Chef's Manifesto podcast, produced and hosted in collaboration with the Crop Trust and Food Forever. My name is Alejandra Schrader. I'm a plant-based nutrition certified chef, author, food entrepreneur, and activist based in Los Angeles, California. As a founding member of the Chef's Manifesto promoting sustainable plant-based cooking as a way to build stronger food systems and achieve good food for all, it is a particular pleasure for me to kick off and introduce this brand new season. Going into the third Chef's Manifesto podcast season, we have been looking at bringing in a range of new voices to host the show. This season, two new hosts are joining, and I'm excited to be one of them. Alongside Chef Tom Hunt, we will also have amazing South African celebrity chef Lorna Maseko join as host. Each of us three will host two of the six episodes in this season. As we grow this resource, it is our hope to bring in a greater diversity of voices from across the world to feed into and help drive this project forward. For those of you who are new to our channel, The Chefs Manifesto is a network of 800 plus chefs from 80 countries exploring how to drive progress on sustainable development and on ensuring good food for all. Chefs from our network work together, exchanging knowledge and resources to create positive change from farm to fork and help transform our food systems. In the first season of the podcast, which launched in March, 2020, we covered each of the eight thematic areas of the Chef's Manifesto's action plan, including the protection of biodiversity, reducing waste, championing plant-based ingredients, investing in livelihoods, respecting the earth and its oceans, and ensuring the affordability and accessibility of food. A few months later, the second season launched, exploring how COVID has affected people and chefs and the hospitality industry in particular, all over the world. In four episodes, we discussed how food production has been affected by the pandemic, the stark inequalities exposed, and what the future holds, how chefs can stay strong and build back better. This new third season will focus on one particular area of the Chef's Manifesto, the protection of biodiversity. In each episode, we will spotlight one diverse and resilient crop from millet, sweet potato, and wheat to coffee, potatoes, sorghum. And we will be talking to chefs who are working and cooking with those ingredients and to experts who gives us valuable insights from a scientific perspective. So let's begin. Today, we want to look at the potato, by far the most important non-cereal crop in the world. Only three crops, maize, wheat, and rice are grown more globally than this Andean tuber. A single medium-sized potato contains about half the daily adult requirement of vitamin C is very low in fat and boiled, it has more protein than maize and nearly twice the calcium. But not only for its nutritional characteristics, but also its diversity, its cultural significance and heritage, the potato is a fascinating food to discuss. It is therefore wonderful to have two chefs, Chefs Janice Casey Bracken and Chef Diego Oka, as well as the expert and indigenous community leader Alejandro Argumedo with us today. They will share their stories and experiences with the potato in their kitchens and communities. The potato provides one of the starkest warnings against the loss of crop biodiversity. In 19th century Ireland, a devastating potato disease wiped out the potato crop resulting in the deaths of more than a million and the emigration of a similar number of Irish people. The country had been reliant on one variety of one crop for its staple food. And that variety of potato had no resistance to the disease. There was no significant genetic diversity in the crop to provide protection. This grim story still serves as a reminder of the need to maintain as much variety as possible in our staple crops and diet more generally. In light of this particular significance of potatoes for Ireland and Irish history, it's a particular honor to have Chef Janice Casey Bracken on for our first interview today and on this new season. Chef Janice is the head chef at Dunbrody Brody Country House Hotel in Country Wexford, Ireland. Prior to her work there, Janice was head pastry chef at Waterford Castle Hotel. Importantly, as a member of the real Bread and Eurotokes Ireland, Janice also helps preserve the culinary heritage of Ireland by supporting traditional cooking methods and promoting producers of local and seasonal artisan produce. On top of this, Janice also runs the Grianon Cookery School, which is associated with the Irish Country Women's Association. It's a great pleasure having you on, Janice. Welcome to the podcast.
0: Thank you so much for the opportunity. It's really appreciated. I am so excited to chat with you about
2: potatoes and especially hear your interesting story because you went from the world of finance to country house kitchens and you even grow your own violeta potatoes And your culinary is so unique and exciting. Um, Ireland's heritage is so close to the potato culture. And how do you capture this
0: in your own Irish kitchen? Well, so I suppose when you kind of think of Ireland, a lot of people think potatoes, leprechauns, things like that. So the potatoes are really, really important to us. Obviously, they're not a native uh, vegetable that we grew here. Obviously, they were brought over to us, but we have kind of adopted them. And made them our signature dish. We're coming into a really special time here. Um, It's Halloween is approaching. And our whole traditional festival of of Samhain, which is the Gaelic for Halloween, our traditional food and fare that we make would be called cannon, which is like a mashed potato with uh, cabbage. There would be uh, potato farls. Um, like you know, these like apples and grated potatoes and mashed potatoes. It has become such a big part of our culture and our heritage that I think the only natural way for us to cook here in um, Dombroni Country House is to believe in the ethos that we were reared with or that we were trained with here, and that was: you see something in the garden, you look at it, you make sure it's good, you make sure it's right, you make sure it's ripe, you take it from the garden, you bring it down. We have a little cup of tea. We have a chat and then we'd kind of design our menu that night around what's in the garden. So by us growing our own vegetables and particularly our potatoes, not just one variety, but we have four. It just keeps us fresh. It it doesn't let our menu stagnate. It doesn't let our minds stagnate. Yeah, yes,
2: absolutely. And I'm so very curious to see about the variety of potatoes that you use On your menu throughout the year, you just mentioned that you grow some yourself, but do you also have suppliers that you source potatoes from?
0: Yes. So we have made a decision in the hotel here that we minimize the amount of travel that our vegetables have before they come to visit us. We want them to have the shortest journey from our kitchen to the restaurant, but also the shortest journey to our kitchen. Ideally, that's in the kind of four or five K radius of where our hotel is located. So that would be our personal grounds where we would have our veg garden, our herb garden and our fruit garden. Besides the four potatoes varieties that we grow, obviously we as chefs can't grow enough to keep us fully stocked all year long. Now we do store some in the sheds and things like that, but we have this fantastic man. um, His name is Thomas Power. He's in his late eighties. And he still supplies us with um, golden wonders. And he just grows them down along by Hook Lighthouse, where we're situated here in Wexford. Do you hear, hear of the phrase by hook or by crook? Well, that's actually right here in Wexford. And we're on the Hook Peninsula. And if we look across the bay, we can see crook. So Ireland was going to be taken by hook or by crook. And that's literally where we are. We have this fantastic sandy soil that is perfect for growing potatoes right here. And you can taste the difference in the potatoes, the different regions that they're kind of being grown in because the different soil qualities
2: oh my goodness
0: that's so interesting and you
2: talked about sandy soils and a specific variety of potato that this particular supplier provides and suppliers are so important in the story of biodiversity are there other suppliers that uh, grow different kinds of varieties and and what, what does that look like
0: Oh, there is. There's a really good friend of mine. She's a lady that's just championing farming, never mind just potato growing. She is a legend kind of really in her own right. And she runs Bally Farm and it's in County Loud. So it's not too far away. It's about like maybe two hours journey, but she has restructured her whole farm. She married a farmer. She wasn't brought up in a farming tradition. So she's really kind of taken it all on board. And it wasn't just working, kind of growing one variety of potatoes, just wasn't working. It wasn't sustainable for them. And they just changed the whole structure. She sat down with her husband and was like, Well, what, what are we gonna do? Like, seriously, we 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 need to keep this going, because you know, we're not losing this farm, we're not losing our house, we're we're gonna sort it out. And that's the kind of real type of woman she is. She's not going to sit back and cry. She's going to go, right, this is it now. I'm going to sort it out. And she grows six different varieties at the moment, I think. She's just coming out of harvest. And traditionally here in Ireland, the sign of the potato harvest finishing is actually Halloween because it's the end of traditional harvest and it's when we give thanks and we celebrate everything and we hope that the harvest will be good for next year and nothing bad will happen, the crops. So she's just, just cutting it by a fine tooth to get in. She's just got her potatoes out, but she has these magnificent varieties. Uh, Mayan Gold, uh, Mayan Twilight, she has Red Emily, she has Violetta, she has Pink for Apple. Now she's still grown Roosters and she's still grown Golden Wonders as well, but she's opened up the whole country to these different varieties. And each variety has a different texture, a different flavor, a different profile that goes with it. So like some are beautiful for roasting, some are beautiful for boiling. Some of them you don't want to touch. You just want to put like a half pound of butter on top of it and just sit there with a spoon and just pop it into your mouth. But because of her and other people that are championing these kind of things, it's opening up our hearts. It's opening up our minds to it. So because of her and for her friendship, but she, helped guide me into growing the potatoes here on site for us because she knows how important it is to us or for us for us to be able to show our clients and our customers as they walk through the grounds every morning. Do you like this? Do you, do you see what we're pulling here? This is going to be on your plate tonight. It, it's a very important part of our story and for us to bring the food to life for people, for them to have a memory of their granddad growing potatoes at home and something that's been lost out in our generations for them to come down to the hotel and we're standing in the garden and, and they think we're gardeners or you know somebody on work experience and then they start chatting to you and I'm like going oh yeah and you know like this is actually in your starters tonight they're like oh, did the chef tell you that and I'm like yes she did <laughs> And it starts a whole conversation and it brings them into the kitchen. Like obviously pre-COVID, we have an open kitchen. We have an open door policy. Anybody that wants to see what we're doing, come right in, like talk to us. We're, We're here to help. We should be part of your experience as well as the serving staff should be part of your experience. There's no big secrets. Come ask us. All we want to do is share our knowledge because it creates a whole new stay for those people. It creates a whole new memory. And they kind of go home and a lot of the time, like we'll give them seed potatoes to take with them. Like if we're planting, you know, it's like, here, come here. <laughs> when you check out in the morning, come down, knock on the kitchen door. I'll have something for you. We will give them little packets of seed potato and say, right, there's your Dunbrody memory. Now you come back next year and you, you, you bring your spots back and I'll cook them for you. And we'll see who's doing it better. It's, it's a, a game, I suppose. It's fun. But it also helps them understand that there's not just the Kerr Pink's the golden wonders and the roosters. It opens up their minds. They go home and they plant a few, maybe even the Violetta or or the pink for apple. And they're talking to their neighbors and their neighbors are going, well, what's that? Oh no, I tell you what she said. Don't roast those. Do you know what she said to do with those? Now don't make chips with those, just boil them or steam them. And in turn, just by Maria helping us plant here or giving us the knowledge to plant here, we're able to to in turn say we could have 70 guests a night here in the hotel. like a small luxury hotel. But if we say that and maybe only five people listen, that's five people every seven days that are listening. The hotel is open 50 weeks a year. That adds up. So it might seem like we're not spreading a message, but by Maria speaking to me and by me speaking to our customers and our staff, the message is getting out there. Might be slow, but Rome wasn't built in a day.
2: Uh, yes, it is, and it's so important. and what a privilege for us as chefs to have the platform to be able to educate other people because education is so important as a tool to promote biodiversity, right? And you talked about potatoes having different colors, different sizes, different shapes and um, and and it's such a great thing that you get to feature different kinds of potato in your dinners and in your menus what are the different reactions that you may get from diners from the different ways of preparation and all the different potatoes that you may use
0: a lot of funny reactions especially to the violetta potatoes Irish country people going to a country house are not expecting a purple potato in their veg pot is it bruised Um, Did something happen? Did it grow wrong? Did you cook it with beetroot? Is that why it's that colour? I don't think that's right. Will you send that back to the kitchen? Like what you do? (laughs) We can talk and we can tell them and everything, but you know, purple isn't a natural colour that people associate with potatoes. So we took it and we said we'd do something else with it. So we took our violetta out and we, well, A, we press some of them. So we make our own potato starch and the other part then that we do is we pickle them and preserve them so that they're going through our starters so we found that by putting a small amount of the violetta through our salads like with our pearl barley and like our elder flowers and our vinegars and things like this that people kind of went searching for it inside in their salad it became a little kind of a game and it's oh look i found the purple part oh yeah yeah that's the potato yeah yeah i know they said there was going to be purple potatoes. But if we had produced them to them as a veg and their side pot, no. When it was, became a game and there was a little part, they're not afraid to taste something small and they're not going to ruin their meal or their, their starter by having a tiny bit and if they don't like it, they can push it to the side. But what we found was they were enjoying it and they were coming back and going, can I have a little bit more of that? Have you anything else with that? We had one person that had the preserved potatoes with his cheese and he really enjoyed it. <laughs> Yeah, preserved violetta potatoes go really, really well with whiskey-infused blue cheese. Yeah, what a fun way to plant a little
2: seed of curiosity in your customers and your diners uh, by introducing them to something new. But I love the story about the salad and trying to go on a little treasure hunting. Um, and speaking of curiosity, like how do organizations like the Chef's Manifesto encourage you and your curiosity in this field?
0: Well, I suppose I had never heard of Chef's Manifesto until um, Connor Spacey had tagged me and said, this is something you need to get into. That this is something that you're going to enjoy. And this is something you need to open your eyes to. And he said it in a much nicer way than I just put it. Um, but he was so, so right. I didn't realize how much we were missing out in our kitchen. And I suppose we always had that kind of farm to fork attitude, but there was so much more that we need to discover about ourselves. Since I've joined Chef's Manifesto, we've got our own chickens on site. We don't just have one breed of chicken, we have two breeds of chickens. And it's part of my routine. Every morning I go in and I talk to the chickens. I, I'm not crazy, but yeah, I have a relationship with most of them and we've even named them. But the difference is even that it's taught us down to eggs. We, we have our blue eggs and we have our regular hen's eggs and we use our blue eggs and we're specifically only using those to poach for breakfast in the morning because they've got such a more vibrant yolk and people can taste the difference. And they're kind of going, where did you get those? And it's like, do you know where we got them? Will I bring you for a walk and show you? (laughs) And they're kind of coming with us. Like we learned an awful lot more that we had to cut down on our food waste. We've cut down on our food waste by having our chickens. We've got pigs coming and what we can't feed to the chickens. We're composting and now our little piggies are going to get fed off that as well. So, I mean, they'd be really well-fed pigs because they'll have the best of ingredients and then the little pigs will end up on the plates and then there'll be new little piggies coming to visit us. So, it will be a circle of life. It'll all kind of fit into us. Like we had to learn an awful lot more about cutting down on our plastics, cutting down on our carbon footprint. But I think because we are relying on ourselves, our own garden, and our local producers, and really sticking to local producers, that we have realised that what we want, like what we can see ingredients in a book, we can start to grow ourselves. And if we can't grow ourselves, we can get on the phone or we can Google who in Ireland can grow it? And we can become friends with them and they can become suppliers and we'll build a relationship and we can grow together. And by doing this, we're not just stuck with one variety of carrots, one variety of potatoes. Like Life is not going through like a tunnel with just looking straight ahead you have to kind of stop and look out the window and go, what's around me? Because otherwise it just becomes too boring. We can't live with one variety of everything. Take potatoes. If we just grow one variety, what happens if we get a load of blight? It didn't work out very well for us. (laughs) So by different varieties, even if you're talking about For the soil, like the biodiversity of soil when you're planting potatoes. It's what can you plant with the potatoes to help the pH level, to help the nitrogen level, and different things like that. Or you can talk about growing blight resistant varieties of potatoes and things like this. Like, how can we do it? Biodiversity is not just about kind of the varieties of different potatoes. It's what we can do to help the soil, help the climate, help the agriculture, and keep kind of tipping away over. And by growing different varieties, we're experiencing the different tastes, the different smells, the different cultures, the different textures. Where did the Mayan twilight come from? Or where did the Mayan gold come from? And you can actually look back into their culture and see what way they were used to be cooked. And we can learn an awful lot by looking back.
2: Right. Yes. And all of that is so important. You're you're talking about crop rotation and the importance that that has on the health of our soils. And, uh, you know, you were talking about food waste and I'm so glad that you mentioned uh, Connor Spacey's name because even though I've never met him in person, it is platforms like the Chef's Manifesto that allowed me to connect with other people and other chefs on the other side of the world that I can learn from and other people that have the same passions that I have and that ultimately want to collaborate so that we can learn from each other so that we can finally work together towards the common goal, which is... Uh, restoring our broken food systems and improving the health of Mother Earth. Chef Janice, thank you so much for being here with me today. I really appreciate your valuable input, and I really look for the opportunity to, after all of this is over, coming to Ireland and tasting the Violetta potato for the first time in my life. <laughs> Our second guest today is Chef Diego Oka, executive chef of Mandarin Oriental's La Mar. Chef Diego was born and raised in Lima, Peru, and influenced early on in his childhood by his Japanese Peruvian heritage through his grandmother's cooking. Later on, Diego was further inspired by the foods he discovered when living in Mexico and Colombia. After undertaking an internship at Gastón Acurio's A Street and Gastón, Diego went on to work as an executive chef at different Lamar restaurants around the world, including in Lima, Bogotá, and San Francisco. We're on today, he is sharing the unique flavors and culture of his homeland, Peru, and bringing his uniquely innovative and creative talent.
1: Thank you, Alejandra, and all the team from Chef Manifesto that invited me to be part of this interview and to have a small space to share about everything that we're going to talk.
2: Absolutely, and it's and it's such an honor to have you be part of the Chef's Manifesto podcast, and especially when we're talking about something that you and the country that you represent know so much, which is potatoes. So I just wanted to ask the first question because you have such a fascinating and culturally diverse upbringing given your Japanese and Peruvian heritage. So can you tell us a little bit of how this has led to your culinary journey?
1: Well, I think I cannot be more lucky as a chef to be born in Peru because it's so diverse and so much culture. I think that's why now Peruvian food is also so popular because of the, all these cultures that came many years ago. And I'm Japanese descendant. I'm the third generation of uh, my grandparents came from Japan to Peru. But imagine Peru is the second largest migration of Japanese community in the world. No, The first one is Brazil. That is much bigger. But in Peru, there's much more Chinese, Spanish, Africans, Italians. Those are like the five big cultures that influence the country and especially the food and so as a chef being part of a diverse country and a super rich soil and sea I think as a chef I cannot ask more
2: oh and I couldn't agree with you more I mean I'm from Venezuela but part of my heart is uh it's in Peru one of my culinary mentors is Peruvian and I have been able and very lucky to visit Peru and uh, and to be in festivals like Mistura, amazing, which right? Are such powerhouse, uh, re- you know, for the region, and uh, so I know a little bit of what it is like to to you know to be in a festival and seeing the large variety of potatoes all over. But I want you to tell me. What is it like to walk into a market in Peru?
1: And I think if you you know a Peruvian, the first thing we're going to talk is always food.
2: Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And with all the diversities, like you were saying, like the chifa and the nique, yes yes, as you should, as you should. Um, but when it comes to potatoes, I, I couldn't believe, again, being in Mistura and seeing, like, I think at the time, they told me it was 3,000 varieties of potatoes. So tell yes. me... What is it like for you to walk into a market in Peru and seeing this plethora of beautiful potatoes?
1: No, it's amazing. It's been like an, a journey of learning. I'm Peruvian. We didn't know what we have, all this diversity, No, you know. We knew that we have many ingredients, but I think slowly we've been discovering more and more and learning more and more, especially as the chefs. There's many chefs now that make research, and that research helped us to learn, no? Because I left Peru 15 years ago. I go back every year. I learn, I try new things, restaurants. Going to markets in Peru, that's a sad thing because here there's no like a real market like in Peru. Or in, not in Peru, like in South America or, or Japan or Europe. We're lucky that we still have uh, markets that we can go and look for the products directly from the farms. That's a plus. Here in the United States, yeah, we have suppliers that contact the farm. You no, know? It's a different process. It's a different style. But uh, if you go to Peru, you can find Everyday different things, no? Especially potatoes that there's so many, no? More than 3,000. We have in Peru, there's a a special place where they study, where they preserve the seeds so they we can have it like forever, no? That's amazing that that the country invests on this. That's the best, no?
2: Yeah, absolutely. And I was just going to say, because you talked about uh, as a culture continuing to discover new varieties of potatoes. And I remember when I was there, in 2015 they talked about about 3000 varieties but now i understand that the international potato center has more than 7000 yeah, yeah. samples of varieties
1: <laughs> each potato have a different microclimate a different soil Peru have so many microclimates that we can grow almost everything all year and especially potatoes. We have so many because of the altitude of the weather and it's very interesting like. Yes. And even though if you go to a, like a supermarket in Peru, you will find at least 10 varieties. Like in a real market, you will find like, I don't know, maybe hundred or a thousand types of potatoes, but going to a supermarket and find like 10 varieties of potato is amazing. Like you go here to a supermarket and you find two, right? Uh, if you're a chef or you love eating, you should go to a marketing Peru, for sure, no?
2: Yeah, I, um, I was fortunate enough to spend quite some time at the Mercado de Surquillo and it was like being in Disneyland.
1: Amazing, <laughs> I and it's beautiful, no? It's beautiful.
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, So I love the many ways in which potato is featured in different uh, Peruvian dishes. And I want to talk about causa. It's the traditional Peruvian mashed potato dish. And I think dishes like these are so important to preserve biodiversity because they make the best use of such a different variety of potatoes. Uh, Can you share an example of how you incorporate uh, different potatoes into a causa or... Uh, or other of your dishes? The causa is a very traditional dish, and I think
1: it's one of the favorite dishes of Peruvians, and I think it's the best way to represent the potato. The causa is, you can eat it uh, in any levels, any house, rich, poor. We eat causa, we prepare causa, so it's very uh, a very inclusive dish, very easy, very delicious, and In Peru, we usually use the papa amarilla. You know, when we have restaurants, now I'm in Miami, we have to adapt. It's better to use local products. And if it works, of course, we're not going to find the best Peruvian food in the United States. You find it in Peru (laughs) because it's not only the potatoes, the garlic tastes different, the onions taste different. So there are many things that make Peruvian food so special in Peru, no? Here in Miami, United States, we try to adapt and to get as closer as we can to the real flavors. For example, here I use Idaho potatoes because for the causa, we need a dry potato. In Peru, we boil the papa amarilla, but here, if we boil the Idaho potato, it will absorb too much water and it will not be dry. So here we steam it and it worked perfect. No, The texture of the Idaho potato works for the causa. We can find Peruvian potatoes here in the United States, but you can find it dry. That is to make like stools. It's called papa seca. And then you can find it like peeled and frozen. So it's very difficult when it's processed like that. But to deep fry the papamarilla that came frozen is delicious. Amazing. Amazing because when the potato has been freeze, the content of water from the yellow potato melts. So now we have like a pure dry potato and to fry it is amazing crispy and we serve it here in the restaurant. Now but to make causa, it doesn't work. And then we have the other potato that is the papa seca that been dry in the mountains and then packaged and shipped it here. We have to rehydrate the potatoes and we use to make carapulcra that is with chocolate, peanuts, ajipanca, yeah, we, we try to bring as much of the Peruvian flavors we can here to the restaurant.
3: Right.
2: And I'm so glad that you talked about Carapulcra. I'm a big fan. You know, and you talked about the challenges of, of cooking Peruvian food while being in Miami, and you run such a successful uh, restaurant, Peruvian restaurant, La Mar. In in a, in a place where you may not have access to all the ingredients that you normally use, including potatoes. And so being able to manage to create like the same authentic dishes, uh, working with sustainable ingredients. How, how is that challenge like to try to replicate the closest authentic flavors, not having access to all of what you need?
1: You have to make it unique. We don't want to make the same, same flavor of what you find in Peru. No? Because in Peru also, each family has their own recipes, for example. Like the ceviche you eat in Peru, a Lamar could be different like uh, in a Peruvian family or another restaurant. Yes, we have traditional dishes, basic ingredients, but each person, each chef, each family puts their own personality or uniqueness to the dish without disrespecting the traditional ingredients. I lived four years in Mexico, two years in Colombia, two years in San Francisco, and now I've been living here seven years. And each country you learn how to adapt and to get closer to the real flavor. No? For example, in Mexico, we used to mix Chile Manzano and Chile Habanero to make a closer taste to a Amarillo. It's not the same but you have to adapt you have to mix if not it's not fun no
2: <laughs> right and you know we as chefs have to you know get creative but also think about biodiversity and 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 figure out ways to promote the local ingredients that are available to us and you talked about the papa amarilla you talked about the papa seca but in my head i keep thinking about the beautiful colors that you see in Peruvian potatoes the purples the reds the yellows Um, How are you able to replicate some of those colors or textures with the local potatoes that you have available here in the United States?
1: In California, they grow the marble potatoes and the finger potatoes. Those are Peruvian seeds. That's why now you can find in the market and they're very popular. These purple, red, beautiful potatoes. So we use those. You know, Florida doesn't grow potatoes it's more citrus, so... Yes, we use uh, California potatoes to adapt to those. But it's very difficult to make the same in Peru and here. We also have to be conscious that it's not going to be the same. It's going to be different. And that makes unique this restaurant and each restaurant that we have around the world.
2: Right. right. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And we do the best that we can. And a lot of times I know for myself, I can be so jealous of my own culture and I want to be as close as I can possibly do it but um to be a real ambassador of our culinary heritage uh, we also have to be able like you say to adapt and to um and to utilize what's available to us
1: and that's a beauty not to mix respect the ingredients everything
2: i feel like we have learned some of that from our own ancestors incorporating you talked about like the japanese or chinese culture but use Peruvian ingredients and have like like I mentioned earlier, like the Nike or the Chifa culture. And and that and that combination of flavors, it's always a, a good thing at the end.
1: Yeah, of course. No, like in Peru you know Chifa, no? This is of the Chinese Peruvian restaurants. Like for example, we serve chowfak rice here. It's a fried rice. For us Peruvians, we see that and we say, Yes, yeah, that's Peruvian. No, But for other people that doesn't know much about the Peruvian culture, they say, oh, this is a Chinese dish. But we adapt those flavors, those techniques, even though it doesn't look Peruvian, but they are. They're part of us.
2: Oh, yes, they are. Yes, they are. Oh, Chef Diego, I am... So grateful for your willingness to be part of the Chef's Manifesto podcast. And thank you. I've learned so much from you and I'm so inspired by your work. And I'm so proud uh, that you're representing the Latino culture in America. So thanks again uh, for being part of our project.
1: No, thank you very much. And see you soon.
2: Our next guest and expert for this episode, Alejandro Argumedo, is the director of the Association Andes, a Cusco-based indigenous peoples NGO working to protect and develop Andean biological land, cultural diversity and the rights of indigenous peoples of Peru. Alejandro was born in Central Peru to an indigenous Quechua farming family where he grew nurtured by the herb-perfumed aroma of his grandmother's cooking and the teachings of maize and potato fields. Alejandro today has more than 25 years of international experience working with indigenous peoples, small-scale farmers, NGOs governments, research organizations, and UN bodies. Amongst other things, Alejandro co-founded the Indigenous Peoples Biodiversity Network and works on a power-shifting approach that uses food as a key driver of solutions to the compounding climate, environmental, economic, and human rights crisis we face. It's an immense pleasure to have you on the Chef's Manifesto podcast, Alejandro, talking to us about the fascinating tuber, potato, and about its significance and history in your homeland, Peru.
3: Welcome. Thank you very much. My pleasure. I'm very happy to join this conversation. I'm Alejandro Argumedo. I work with a potato park in Cusco, Peru.
2: Uh, very nice. Very nice. I, I want to hear so much about uh, El Parque de la Papa or the Potato Park, which is uh, a, a movement that you've been involved with and that is so important for the preservation of biodiversity of potato. Can you tell us a little bit more about that?
3: Well, potato is our flagship. Farming Potatoes reminds the most important activity that people continue to do in Peru where potatoes are known as mother of grow or mamahata. Uh, potatoes are the core of Andean culture and society for more than 7,000 years. We have around 500 different varieties of uh, potato in, in the Americas. Of those, 3,000 are kept in Peru. And in the potato park, we have 1,372 varieties which are used by the communities that form the potato park. The potato park, therefore, is a food neighborhood. We call it IU, which is a big neighborhood where people and potatoes are very closely united in, in a very beautiful and tasty life. The potato park was established to uh, celebrate this diversity of potatoes. We call it our biocultural heritage. And uh, as it is uh, also one of the beloved uh, staples of the world, we think that celebrating, especially in in its food expressions, because that's the way our culture celebrates our history. Since we are born, we are connected to the potatoes. We are baptized, we come to age with potatoes, we like friends, we marry. Potato is at the center of this culture. So the Potato Park actually celebrates the food diversity and how this food is used in in our society, but also to ensure our socioeconomic, environmental, and cultural survival. So, while the potato reminds us of our ancestors who have created the Inca Empire, a sophisticated civilization whose objective was food, we don't want to forget this story. We want the potato to continue to shape the lives of our people and as potato, also is important for the world. We want to share it and contribute to the food security of the world.
2: That is so amazing to hear, Alejandro. And and I think uh, you bring a voice that is very important to this podcast because we've been talking about potatoes with, with chefs and from a chef's perspective, which is in the kitchen. But what you're telling me is that potatoes mean a lot To the people of Peru, to the indigenous communities, because it connects you to history, connects you to your own heritage. And so to the communities that you work with, potatoes mean more just than a source of nourishment. So much more. Can you tell us about that?
3: Yes. Um, You know, we are a potato centric culture. So. In terms of food, we eat potatoes in all our dishes, all our recipes are almost all based on potatoes. So the history of potato um, is the history of our everyday eating practices. And also, as it's connected to our heritage, it's connected to the way we do agriculture, and how we see agriculture in, in this integrated way, the link between the landscapes where we grow the potato and the kitchen where we use the potato. And we use the potato in so many ways. We have frozen dehydrated potatoes, you know, that we call it chuno or moraya, which is consumed by a you know, large number of people in the Andes but also allow us to keep dry potatoes for around 15 years. So also we use it as fresh. Um, we bake it, we boil it, we fry it, we kind of uh, do roast it. Um, we cook it on uh, under the earth in uh, different types of ritualistic recipes. So... You know, we could do mash, we can do pancakes, we could do potatoes that that are associated to rituals uh, in the agricultural season or in marriages and baptized. So without potatoes, um, our culture would be very empty. So what this seemingly humble um, food source um, provides is a very rich uh, culture and also A very rich source of nutrition. You know that uh, potato is like the four crop in the in uh, in the world, and the nutritional value uh, that has it and the versatility that uh, the potato has to make the kitchen creative and diverse makes like a very popular um, outside Peru. So we are very happy that the types of dishes, these culinary expressions of our people, especially of the women, you know, can be shared uh, with the rest of the world.
2: Uh, Yes, yes. And and you brought uh, such an important point, which is that potato is uh, such an important crop, is the the main non-cereal crop uh, in the world and it has so much nutrition, who would know that potato has such high content of vitamin C? And and so that makes it extra special. And with the large variety available, it's just such a an amazing crop to celebrate. I want to ask you, what would you say to chefs to inspire them, to encourage the crop and conservation and biodiversity of potatoes, and to keep promoting the potato as such an important crop.
3: I think the secret here is to link it to diversity. When, uh, for instance, in the Potato Park, our mothers, grandmothers, sisters, wives—you know, the women—and also the men—and know how to use each one of the 1,300 varieties combined with all the food uh, crops, be it in the salad, be it in, uh, you know, a, a roasted. There's always the association to diversity. So we think that chefs, by promoting the use of a diverse varieties of potatoes, you know, because of the color, the texture, the flavor, and also the form it has, it's linked very strongly to the conservation of agrobiodiversity and the conservation of these unique crops and also unique cultures and unique environments. We encourage the chefs to make this link between diversity, and the environment where potatoes grow. And that's, I think, the best way to link to issues of climate change, to issues of water, to issues of poverty alleviation, to issues of rights of communities at the local level.
2: That is such an empowering message and one that I'm sure taking with me. Thank you, Alejandro, so much for your time and for sharing your wisdom. I appreciate the work that you do. And I really look forward uh, to a future opportunity to talk to you more about potatoes and many other crops and biodiversity. Thank you so much for being here.
3: Thank you very much.
2: Crop diversity is essential for life on Earth. It underpins nearly everything we eat and drink. Throughout the history of agriculture, farmers have generated a seemingly endless diversity within crops discovering ingenious solutions to local challenges. Meanwhile, many of the wild relatives of these crops have also persisted in nature, adapting to tough environments. Crop diversity allows farmers to feed the world, but this diversity is disappearing, and once lost, it's lost forever. We need crop diversity both in farmers' fields and gene banks available to all through an efficient global system to ensure good, nutritious food at affordable prices for all without expanding agriculture's ecological footprint. Everyone has a role to play in safeguarding biodiversity and the diversity of the world's natural larder. The Chef's Manifesto in thematic area 2 encourages and guides chefs across the world to do the same and lead by example in their kitchens, restaurants, and communities. And that's all for this first episode of Chef's Manifesto Podcast Season 3 in collaboration with Crop Trust and Food Forever. I am your host, Chef Alejandra Schrader, and I hope you've enjoyed the conversation as much as I have. Please subscribe to our channels, rate and comment below. Your feedback is invaluable to us and your participation really helps boost our reach we want to talk to and engage with as many chefs as we can around the world to talk sustainability and strengthen our global movement of chefs at the forefront of change. See you next week when we talk with Chef Ali Mandri, Maymuna Hussein katan and expert Eva Walzin about the so-called camel of crops, sorghum, a climate-resistant crop growing in arid soils and during droughts. Thanks for listening. There are
1: eight thematic areas. Ingredients grown with respect to the earth.
0: Fairly to oceans. Protection of biodiversity and improved animal welfare. Investment in
3: livelihoods. Value natural resources. And reduce waste. Waste is recyclable.
0: Waste is unnecessary.
2: Waste is criminal.
0: Celebration of local and seasonal food.
3: A focus on
2: plant based ingredients,
3: education on food safety, and healthy diets,
0: nutritious food that is accessible. accessible
3: and affordable to all
1: chefs, politicians,
0: suppliers, farmers,
1: educators. Chefs together can change the world. Get involved, get involved. Get involved.
3: Get involved. <laughs> <laughs>